right, what's up, everybody? Welcome once again to I-Town. It's an honor to have you in the house today. I want to say hello to our church family meeting in other campuses, to those of you who may be traveling today, joining us online, and then, of course, all the correctional facilities across the state. Church, one more time, let's put our hands together. Welcome our church family today. So great to have you with us. I want to thank Abby for sharing her story, and there's never been a better time to jump on the team, especially in students. We need your help to influence our kids in a godly direction. Praise the Lord. It's going to be a great summer for them. Super excited about all they have coming up. And uh, go ahead and open your Bibles, if you brought them, to Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3. And uh, I would love for you to bring your Bible. If you have one, bring it to church. We're going to study out of passages where you can kind of follow along, make some notes in your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, we are passionate about making sure you have a copy, a physical copy of God's Word. So we have them for free at the Red Tent at every campus. Please pick one up on the way out so you have your own Bible if you don't have one. If you just didn't bring your Bible, go ahead and grab uh, your cell phone and you can pull up the iTown Church app. Click on the notes section for this weekend. You'll have a fill-in-the-blank version. You can follow along and Take some notes. It's so important, I think, that we study uh, and take notes as we study God's Word because the Holy Spirit does speak to us. Y'all believe that? We serve a speaking God. Praise God for that. He's not silent. He does want to speak specifically and individually to every single one of us, and I believe He does that. He brings revelation every weekend, and so it's important that whatever the Holy Spirit speaks to you, that you would jot down in your notes, that you would be able to reference from time to time. Because we're on this spiritual journey together from where we are to where God has called us to be. And I think these moments, God deposits some things in our hearts and in our spirits that we have just got to jot down so that we can go back and reference them. I'm excited to get to Exodus chapter 3 before we jump in the Word. Kate and I had a chance to be at a pastor's conference this week. And it was wonderful to spend some time with people that we do life and ministry with relationally. Pastor Kent Muncie, Pastor Marcus Meekham are both overseers for our church and have been good friends for a long time and and then of course I don't know if you know Pastor Steve Muncie he's been a dear friend he was a protege and a friend of my grandfather and he pastors up in northwest Indiana been there for decades just faithfully pastoring his church and he's such an amazing man of God it was great to spend some time with him and then Pastor Jensen Franklin hanging out with him just talking life and ministry and 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 just spending time at the altar and in pre, in the presence of God it was just really an incredible week, and so I am ready to charge hell with a squirt gun today. I'm fired up, ready to be back, and excited to bring you the message that God has put on my heart. In Exodus, we find this amazing story of the children of Israel, easily one of my favorite sections of God's Word, and I, we reference it often. If you're a regular here at Itown, we know we love to teach on the journey of the nation of Israel as slaves in Egypt all the way to freedom in the Promised Land. Because it's a beautiful picture of what God's doing in our lives spiritually as we are born slaves to sin. And then through Jesus, God sets us free and takes us to the place of promise that he has for us through the power of the Holy Spirit. And uh, today we're going to study a little bit about the person of Moses. And, and honestly, this is like one of those bedrock revelations that God gave me years ago. And I've been able to bring portions of this message over the years to the church but it's something that I personally reference on dark days because we all have them when we question what God has called us to do. And I pray that it blesses you today as well. If you need a title for your notes, the title of this message is How Big 
is your butt. How big is your butt? Because we live in a very unhealthy culture that makes our butts grow. And the bigger our butts, oftentimes the less we're able to do for God. Now, of course, I'm not talking about your derriere, your B-U-T-T. I'm talking about that negative conjunction that all of us use that expresses disbelief or objection. Because every one of us have a call that God has for our lives. And we hear about it. And we say, God, I would love to... But, God, I'd love to serve you, but, I'd love to be free to lift my hands in worship, but, I would love to give financially to advance the cause of Christ, but, man, I'd love to lead a circle, that sounds fun, but, we've got these buts that keep us from doing what God has called us to do because in case you haven't noticed the devil's working overtime to destroy our self image and when God calls us to do something great which he does to every single one of us oftentimes our butt is just too big insecurity is crippling us and so I want you to ask that question today is my butt too big for me to do what God's called me to do So Moses, when he was called by God, as we'll study today in Exodus 3, had a huge butt. Let's first of all look at his story. Most of you know how he was born in a time of absolute chaos. The nation of Israel's in captivity in Egypt, and uh, and they're on the brink of freedom. Like they're within a generation of walking out of all the pain and all the captivity that has horrified them for a generation. And the devil senses that it's coming, but he doesn't know exactly who God's going to use. Because you know that we give the devil way too much credit, right? Sometimes we give, we assign the devil attributes that are reserved for God alone. God is all-knowing, and God is all-powerful, and God is all-present. But the devil is none of those things. He's a created being. He's an angel created by God who rebelled against God. And he does have spiritual power to some degree, but it's very limited because he was a created being. And he doesn't have omnipresence. He's not all places at all times. So if you ever have the actual devil tormenting your life, you are a very special person because there's only one of him. And he can only be one place in the earth at one time. So the devil doesn't really know exactly how God's going to move. He's like us in the standpoint of he can kind of look, and certainly he's been around for thousands and thousands of years, so he can sense when God's getting ready to move. He can sense when things are shifting. And I don't know if you've sensed it, but I'm just telling you, we are living in a time where the droplets of revival have begun to fall. And I think a mighty outpouring of God's spirit is coming to our nation and to our world. I think we're about to step into a time of power and signs and wonders and revival and miracles. And the devil knows it's coming, but he doesn't know who the revivalist is. He's not sure who the healer is. He's not sure the one that will give the prophecy, so he's trying to take everybody out. Same thing's happening in Israel. He knows a deliverer is due, but he's not exactly sure who it is. So they're killing all the baby boys. They're trying to get rid of them all. And of course, y'all, can we all agree today that God made everything, that God's the creator of all things, right? Except for sin, God created everything. So that means that God's the creator of irony, 
which I think is awesome. I think God really has a greater sense of humor than we give him credit for. So the devil's trying to kill the deliverer, and God says, how about you raise him in your own palace? Not only is he alive, but the devil can pay for it. And so the devil in Pharaoh's house educates Moses and raises Moses, and and he's there with all of the wisdom and all the opulence and all the opportunity that Egypt has to offer. Until one day he says, you know, I'm a little bit insulated. I feel isolated from my people. I don't really know the pain that people are going through that I'm called to deliver, which is a whole message by itself. Sometimes we got to step outside our Christian bubble and outside our little Christian world and make sure we understand what's really going on in culture because those are the people that we're called to reach. The moment that he does, it just grips his heart of, my. we're in crisis. He sees an Egyptian torturing and whipping an Israelite. And that deliverer rises up on the inside of him, but he doesn't know exactly what to do. And so he does the wrong thing, and he kills the Egyptian, tries to bury him in the sand. Of course, it's exposed. He has to run for his life. He now finds himself in the desert, and and he's trying to reshape his life, probably having given up on the dream that God had for him. He finds a good woman, gets married, works for her father. He becomes a shepherd. And that's where the Lord finds him in Exodus chapter 3, where the legend, as we know it, goes that he finds the bush, this non-burning, burning bush that the Lord begins to speak to him from. In verse 4, we pick the story up. The Lord saw that he had caught Moses' attention, and he called to him from the bush, Moses, Moses, here I am, Moses replied. Do not come any closer, God told him. Take off your sandals, for you are standing on holy ground. Verse 10, he says, now go because I'm sending you to Pharaoh. You will lead my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. So God comes to Moses and reignites the dream, the call, the passion that likely Moses has given up on. Which is why at Itown we embrace the philosophy of it's never too late to become who you might have been. Because God's a God of second chances and third chances and 15th chances because God redeems what's been broken. Praise God for that. I'm so thankful. But it's fascinating to me how Moses kind of creates this new life. And here he is just surviving. He's got sheep on the backside of a hill and his head is down. And he's focused on his daily objectives of just surviving. And yet God's trying to get his attention. And sometimes I just wonder how many of us are in that place. We're just trying to survive. We're we're settling for the status quo. We're just doing what's in front of us. We're just going to work. We're just trying to pay the bills. We're just trying to get through life. And God's over here speaking to us, trying to get our attention, going, hey, you were made for more. And sometimes he has to light a little dumpster fire in our lives to get us to pick our heads up and go, huh? So God lights this bush on fire, the non-burning, burning bush that catches Moses' attention and God begins to speak to him and commission him, hey, it's time for you to be the deliverer that I've called you to be. Now, in my holy imagination, I like to get in the story, and I don't know if you do this, but it really makes it come to life. Can you imagine the, the parts of the Bible that like aren't written? So you have to take a little bit of liberty and you can throw all of this out if you want to, but I just wonder... In my holy imagination, what that conversation was like when Moses went home that day. Hey, baby. 
I, I, think, I think the Lord called me for a new job today. Like I think I heard from God, we're, we're, I'm, I'm supposed to go back to Egypt. Remember that whole thing I talked before we met, like that life before we were together, I told you about wanting to be a deliverer, feeling like God called me to make a difference in this group of people's lives. And it didn't really work out, but I feel like the Lord is calling me back to it. I think it's time for me to go. His wife responds, wow, Mo, that's, that's, that's big. So you're wanted like as a murderer there, right? You did kill that guy. Yeah, 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 yeah. And Pharaoh like wanted you dead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is not real. The adopted family thing didn't work out real great. It's not, it's not good. So you're going to go speak to him. And, and we're back on all that. We're back to this. The deliverer stuff. Like you want to go back and do that. Like you already failed at it. That's what you, you, that's okay. So God spoke to you. How exactly did God speak to you? Well, it's a funny thing, honey. I was, uh, I was just, you know, out there with the sheep, you know, my job. And then I saw this bush and it was like burning, but it wasn't burning. It was like on fire, but it wasn't being consumed. And so I went over to check it out because you know how much I love fire. I've always loved fires. And I just went to see what the fire was about in the desert. It's pretty cool. And, 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 and then God like spoke to me. From the bush, like the bush, it talked, it, the bush talked to me. And it's the bush. The bush told me that I was supposed to go, and pretty sure the bush was God. So I think I'm going to go. Most of you wives would be like, did you smoke the bush? <laughs> I'm not really tracking with you here. You, you want to go back to a failed project from before with people who want to kill you, and you're, do, you're basing this on a ficus that was on fire? You're crazy. So Moses has this conversation, and, and, and because God has a sense of humor, he's actually in an argument with the bush. But as he argues with the bush... We find all of these insecurities coming out. And I'm willing to bet that everybody here wrestles with one or two of these that Moses wrestled with. In verse 10, God says once again, I want you to go because I'm sending you to Pharaoh. You will lead my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. In verse 11, he says, but who am I to appear before Pharaoh? How can you expect me? To lead the Israelites out of Egypt. The very first but that you and I have to overcome, the first lie of insecurity is I'm not valuable. I'm a nobody. God, you don't understand. I've got too much junk in the trunk. I, I, I've got a history of mistakes. I killed that guy. I'm a murderer. I'm not called to be a leader. I don't think maybe you're remembering correctly like it was public they had it in the paper it was on access Egypt <laughs> the tabloids I mean they burn they burn me down I don't have really any credibility like it was scandal in the palace I, who am I and the truth is the Bible tells us in Romans that all of us are sinners and all of us fall short of God's standard which means everybody here has been guilty of something Lying, cheating, substance abuse, some form maybe of addiction in your past. We've all walked through something 
in life. Maybe you struggle with anger. Or maybe you actually killed somebody. And we tell ourselves, because of these things, I'm unworthy. I'm not the one you're looking for. Sometimes it's not even the things that we have done. Sometimes it's the stuff that's been done to us. Some of you have been abandoned. You've been abused physically, sexually, emotionally. And the devil sells us this lie that we are worthless. I'm a nobody. God can't use me. You don't understand my past. In verse 12, God responds to Moses and simply says, I will be with you. Jot it down if you're taking notes. Every time the devil tells you you're not valuable, I want you to tell yourself, God is with me. God is with me. God is with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 16 says, Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that the Holy Spirit lives in you? The Holy Spirit lives on the inside of you. Now, that is very significant because I need you to get this revelation. The fact God is with you carries amazing value for your life. Because sin separates. The wages of sin, Romans says, is death. You know, the word death in the Greek New Testament means separation. So because of sin, because of our sin nature, we're separated from God. Well, the only thing that can atone for sin is a blood sacrifice. And so in order to get close to God, we would have to die for our sins. But the problem is you can't get close to God if you're dead because you would have died in your sins, which would separate you from God. But we can't get close to God when we're alive because we're sinful. So you see the problem. Jesus had to step in and pay the price so that you and I could be forgiven and set free. So God let his son die so that you could find life. The fact that the Holy Spirit lives on the inside of you is only because Jesus gave his life. Now, I want you to put yourself in God's position today for just a moment because it'll illustrate how much God loves you. There are a few people here today who are world class. Like you really, you, re you get the servant thing. You're not living for yourself. You understand the gospel. And you really love people deep enough that there's a few people here who would actually die for somebody they love. Like you would give your life if there was a firing range, if there was a train coming, you would be the one to step in and die in the place of someone else. It's extraordinary. And then there's a few of you here today, maybe just a couple, who are so godly that you would die in the place of someone who hated you. Someone who's trying to ruin your life. Somebody that thinks you're crazy. Someone who's gossiped about you. And tried to actively destroy something about your life. So there may be one or two that are that good. But I'm willing to bet that there's about zero people here today who would allow their child to be killed for their enemy to live. In fact, I can tell you that I, I had a season that I failed that test. Because, I don't know if you know this, but pastors, like we give, we love Jesus. And I'm not saying this as an example so you'll feel sorry for me because it is what it is. We've chosen the life that God has called us to and we love it with all of our hearts. 
but there are seasons of difficulty. When you're pastoring, the devil really, the devil hates all Christians, but the devil really hates pastors. I don't know if you know that. There's this thing called spiritual warfare, and there's a scripture that says, strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. And so the devil knows if he can take out spiritual leaders, he can hurt lots of different people. So he's always attacking pastors at different levels, pastors that preach and pastors on our staff who serve. There's always an attack. There's, there's a spiritual attack against your life for sure. But there's an increased spiritual attack in our lives because we're trying to lead what God is doing. And, and so sometimes our kids will get sick or we'll walk through adversity and stuff happens. And we have a wonderful prayer team that surrounds us. We believe in spiritual warfare and a prayer shield. And we're so thankful for the prayer warriors of our church who bathe our family in prayer and our pastors and our whole church. It's wonderful. But still, the devil, sometimes the attacks get through. And I don't know the theology of it all. I'm not here to be a theologian today and explain it all to you because there's some things I don't understand. And I feel like if I'm going to sacrifice all this, then God's going to let me kind of skate free through all these things with all this pain and problems. But that doesn't happen. So me and God will work that out when I get to heaven. So there was a season that our daughter got really, really sick, like really sick, like in Riley Children's Hospital for two weeks, thought she was going to die sick. In fact, there was a night, I'll never forget, I laid hands on her. It felt like the spirit of death was in the room, and I'm pleading the blood and staying up, praying in tongues, just warring for her life. And I'll never forget that I said to the Lord, God, if this is about souls, if this attack against my child is about the future of Bytown or some revival that's coming, I just want you to know I'm out. Like, I love the people of our church, but to be honest with you, and I don't mean this to offend you, it's just where I was at the time, they can go to hell. I want my daughter. The city of Indianapolis can go to hell. I want my daughter to live. I'm out. I'm tapping out. Now, praise the Lord. God did a work in my heart, and eventually Kate and I were like, whatever God wants, we'll surrender to it, and we pray. And praise the Lord. By his grace, she was touched by God's power, and she is healthy and whole and strong today. So thankful for how good God is. We had to get to the place that, like, we may not understand, but whatever. But I was in that place of, like, if it's my daughter... Or the world, y'all can die. I'm fine with that. But Romans says, while we were enemies of the cross of Christ, Jesus died in our place for the chance that we could be reconciled to God. That's how much God loves us. And then we have the audacity to say, I'm a nobody. I'm just a nothing. And the Lord, I think the Heavenly Father is looking at you going, are you kidding me? I gave Jesus for you. You're worth the perfect lamb, the son of God, the blameless sacrifice. That was for you. That wasn't just for a whole bunch of people. That was for each individual. If you were the only person on planet earth, I'm convinced that Jesus would still die and give his life so that you could live. So every time the devil lies to you and says, oh, you're not good enough and God doesn't love you, and you have no value. You're damaged goods. Just remember, the spirit of the living God lives on the inside of me. It's the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, and that was made possible because the sacrifice at Calvary, I'm worth Jesus. Value. But it didn't stop there, verse 13. But Moses protested. Well, if I go to the people of Israel and tell them, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they won't believe me. Verse 1 of chapter 4, he's still wrestling with it. But Moses protested again. Look, they not, they're not going to believe me. They won't do what I tell them. They'll just say, the Lord never appeared to you. The Lord never appeared to you. Jot it down. Here's the second place of insecurity. God, I'm not accepted. 
I'm not accepted. That's fine that you think that you can wash away my past and you can set me free and you can redeem my life. Great. You think I'm valuable. But God, the problem is people. They won't accept me. I want you to think for just a minute. In fact, if you have your Bible, I want you to go to that passage in verse 1 of chapter 4. And I want you to circle the word they that Moses used three times. They won't believe me. They won't do. They'll just say. Then I want you to ask yourself the question, who's the they in your life? Because there's a spiritual principle here that's fascinating. In Moses' journey, if you go back and study the story, he comes out the second day after he killed the Egyptian. And he sees two Hebrews fighting. And he says, brothers, we shouldn't be at odds with each other. We're all on the same team here. And they said, hey, who are you to try and be prophet and judge over us? Like, we don't want your leadership in our lives. You're going to kill us like you did the Egyptian? Basically, two people said, we don't like you, Moses. We don't want you in our lives. So Moses, of course, is marked by that moment and begins his journey in the desert until God has shown up at the burning bush to speak to him. And now Moses is ready to throw away his entire call because of the opinion of two people. And I just wonder how many of you have a they in your heart. They all don't like me. And they are all gossiping about me. And they don't think I'm going to be successful. And they really don't want my influence in their life. And the reality is there's this entire nation on the other side of your obedience. And you're limiting your God-given potential based on the attitude, the rejection, and the opinion of about two people. Because I can tell you. If I've heard it once, I've heard it a million times since I've pastored for over 20 years. They all are talking about it, Pastor. They're all going to leave. They're all upset. And usually that means one, maybe two people. And usually it's the one that's standing in front of you. Because they don't have the guts to say I. So they say they. And I've also learned over time that pastoring, leading, ministering, making any kind of difference for God, parenting. It's not a popularity contest. I'm not doing this so everybody likes me. I'm not doing this so that somebody gives you a retweet. I'm not even on Instagram, but back in the day, so somebody would follow you or somebody would like you or somebody would say, oh, you're great. Or you come down after the service and say, that really changed my life. Man, I so appreciate when it does minister to people. And I'm so thankful for the folks of our church that will come from time to time and say, Pastor, that touched me and that blessed me. Man, that blesses my heart and, and encourages me to continue down the path. But to be honest with you, I would still preach the gospel if nobody said thank you. I would still do what God's called me to do if everybody hated me. I would just... I'm doing what I'm doing, not because I'm trying to win the approval of people, but because I live for an audience of one, and I didn't get into this so that everybody would like me, and so that we would have the biggest church. I got into this because God called me to preach the gospel. God called me to save the lost, and there is a hell to pay, a gospel to preach, and a world to save, and that is what we have always focused on, and it's what we always will focus on, and it doesn't matter who accepts us. It doesn't matter who likes you. 
We better get ready for things to get worse before they get better because we're not winning a popularity contest in the culture. You better get ready for the fact that you just preach the gospel. If you just say you love Jesus, if you just uphold biblical standards for sexuality and purity, you're going to be labeled as a hater and you better be ready for it. Because if it ruins your world when people on Facebook don't like you or when people gossip about you or talk about you because you're doing your best to follow Jesus, you're in trouble. In fact, if you're not ready, Pastor Craig Rochelle says, to disappoint people, then you're not ready to follow God. Because you're going to have a whole bunch of people that say, I don't like the way he said that. I don't like the way she did that. They're gossiping about Moses all the time. I'm not accepted, he says. God, they're not going to follow me. They're not going to listen to me. Don't let the voice of one or two people, that coach, that coworker, that parent, keep you from the destiny that God has for your life. Verse 15, and I reference this often in my heart. God says to him, you just need to know that the Lord has sent me to you. Jot it down if you're taking notes. God has sent me. You just have to live the reality of God sent me. This is the plan. This is the purpose. This is God's call for my life. And I'm going to stay submitted to God. I'm going to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. But I just have to know that I'm not doing this for the approval of people. I'm just doing it because it's what God sent me to do. Moses wasn't done. Verse 10, chapter 4. Moses pleaded with the Lord. I'm I'm not a good speaker, God. I never have been. I'm not now, even though you've spoken to me. I'm clumsy with words. We learn that he's got a stuttering problem excuse number three is i'm not talented okay god great you can forgive my past great you can give me favor with people but god i just don't have the tools i I don't have the equipment i I don't have the knowledge I, i don't have the speaking gift you want me to stand before pharaoh which reminds me this week thunder he's in our daycare of course and we preached the gospel in that daycare praise the Lord for that and uh, they're studying Moses right now and he was in the other room with his other two brothers who are older than him and they got in a little fight and all of a sudden we heard thunder go let my people go (laughs) it's fantastic Moses is thinking ahead to that historic moment going I'm not the guy I'm a stutter it's not gonna go it's not gonna be like the movie it's not gonna be okay but I want you to know that all the time when the devil tells you you don't have the gifts and you don't have the talent that he is nothing but a liar you look at Acts chapter 7 and verse 22 Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and in action so when Moses said I've never been good at speaking. That was a lie from the pit of hell because he had made a mistake in his life and the devil had told him that he was that mistake. See, there's a difference. All of us make mistakes. It's something that you have done. It's not who you are. You are not an addict. You are not an alcoholic. You are not abused. You are not the thing that you have done. You are a child of the king. You are a daughter of the most high. You are co-heirs with Christ and heirs of God. 
But Moses says, I'm, I'm not a good speaker. I, I never have been. He's disconnected. He's forgotten who he was. He forgot about that moment at the altar at youth camp when the Holy Spirit spoke to him. He forgot about that word that God gave him when he was reading the Bible. He forgot about that moment that God touched his life when he was in worship. He forgot about the reconciliation that God brought to his marriage. He forgot about how God had set him free from all the things that he had walking through. See, the devil wants to take your memory from the goodness of God to make you believe you don't have what it takes. Nothing could be further from the truth. God says, I'll help you speak, verse 12. I'll teach you what to say. Jot it down. God will teach me. God will teach me. John 14, 26, Jesus said, the counselor will teach you all things. That's what the Holy Spirit is for. Look. When you step out into ministry, when you step out to lead, when you step out to have that healthy marriage, to start that new business, to lead a circle, all of us are in uncharted territory. None of us have lived through a worldwide pandemic before. There's no book written on it. We don't know what we're doing. We have to get on our face and pray in the Holy Spirit and ask God to give us revelation and ask God to teach us what to do. And to be honest with you, that's what Kate and I did all through the pandemic. We just... We just said, look, every other church is going to do what they're going to do. They're led by the Spirit, however their pastor leads. And we may be feeling called to do something different. And man, it sure makes us feel crazy. And we told our staff, we might lose the church. We might lose the building. We might go to jail. We don't know what the outcome is, but we don't care because we feel like the Holy Spirit has given us the wisdom that we need. We're going to be faithful to follow Him. We're going to ask Him to teach us each day how to do what we're supposed to do. And we do that every day of our lives. We need a word from heaven. We need the Holy Spirit to teach us. You don't have to have a long list of education. You don't have to have all these experiences. You don't have to have a perfect past. You just have to have the Holy Spirit. He'll teach you. God says, I'm going to teach you. I'll be with you. Verse 13. Moses pleaded again. Another big but. God, would you please just send someone else? What Moses is basically saying is, God, it's fine. Great. You can overcome my past. Great. You can give me favor with people. Great. You can give me talent or whatever you think you're going to do. But at the end of the day, I'm not comparable. Let's just be honest, God. There's a million other people that you could choose. So I'm asking you to just pick somebody else. It's the trap of comparison that the devil has brought to the forefront through social media in our lives where we're constantly comparing our behind the scenes to someone else's highlight reel and we think, well, they're holier than I am. They've got a better past than I do. They've got more gifts than I do. They're taller than I am. They're richer than I am. They're more connected than I am. And we convince ourselves that for some reason someone else was called to run our race. I'm not comfortable. You know, the truth is, every time we compare ourselves against other people, we're going to lose. Because the devil will always bring somebody who's bigger, faster, stronger, prettier, skinnier, whatever, younger. But the beautiful thing that the Bible teaches us in the New Testament is that we don't have to stand in judgment for what God has given to anybody else. Remember the parable of the talents where the landowner left? It's the principle teaching us about the kingdom of heaven. And he gave to one five talents. He gave another two talents. He gave another one talent based on their abilities. And then he came back and he evaluated each person based on what they had done with what they'd been given. See, the problem with America, the problem with modern day Christianity is most of us are two talent folks, maybe one talent. And that's okay. It's just how God made us. 
But then we got all these five-talent folks, which praise the Lord for the Jensen Franklins. Praise the Lord for the Dr. Lester Summerall. Praise the Lord for Oral Roberts. Praise the Lord for these mighty men and women of faith. We're thankful for all that God is doing and has done to use them to work and to move. I thank God for Chris Hodges. I thank God for John Maxwell. I thank God for these incredible people that are taking faith to the four corners of the earth and doing an amazing job. But what I'm also thankful for is when I get to heaven, God is not going to judge me based on Lester Sumrall or Chris Hodges or Jensen Franklin or anybody else. He's going to say, Dave, what'd you do with Dave? What'd you do with what I gave you? And as long as we steward it well, we will all receive the same blessing. Well done, good and faithful servant. we got to get our eyes off of everybody else and just run our own race. Forget about who else is better. Well, they have a better ability to speak and they have better resources. They have a better past. No, God's called you to do it. Verse 14, as we close, the Lord's anger burned against Moses, which I love the fact that even God gets fired up sometimes with his staff. (laughs) And to be honest with you, I'm glad. Aren't you thankful? Can we just pause for a minute and thank God that we are not him? Like, you ever think about that? Because I know that there's been plenty of times that God, if if God were a human, he probably would have fired me from doing what God's called me to do. But God is so gracious and so loving. Because if I was God in Moses' story, I'd have been like, you are, man. If you're this hard to hire, you're going to be impossible to manage. You are riddled with insecurity. Just, we'll just take you home to heaven now. We'll just let that fire burn you up. Enough is enough, dude. You're right. I I totally missed myself in this. I I was wrong. I thought I had a hunch about you, but I missed it. But that's not what the Bible says. God's anger burned against Moses and said, what about your brother Aaron the Levite? I know he can speak well. He's already on his way to meet you because God's orchestrating things that you can't see behind the scenes of your life before you're ready for it. He's already on his way to meet you, and his heart will be glad when he sees you. You'll speak to him, put words in his mouth. I help both of you. I'll teach you what to do. Jot it down if you're taking notes. God will connect you. Yes, the vision that he's given you is greater than what you can accomplish on your own, and that's why you have to have relationships surrounding your life. That's why I have a pastor. Every pastor needs a pastor. I'm thankful for Pastor Chris Hodges who sent us and planted us, and I lean on him. I call him. I talk to him. I'm thankful for people like Pastor Jensen Franklin that ministers to us, that leads the way and pours into me and Kate, laid hands on our children this week, and is pouring actively into our church. I'm thankful for our overseers because they're incredible men of God who love this house and love the call that's on our lives, and we consult them in the decisions that we make. I'm so thankful for our trustees who help protect us financially and watch over the church, and they serve faithfully. I'm so thankful for the pastors we have on staff that help run with the vision that God has given us. I'm so thankful for the Go team, the thousands of people who serve and they go and they do all these different jobs on the weekend and all throughout the week to love those in foster care and to set up parking cones and to tear down flags and to change diapers. Without all these people, none of what God has called us to do is possible. You need to know that God will connect you as well. There are relationships in your life that God will connect you with that will help you go further faster, that will supplement the weaknesses that you have. Because even the Lone Ranger needed Tonto. I mean, everybody needs somebody. Nobody does this in a vacuum. God wants to surround you with the right people. 
If you're struggling with insecurity today, if you're pushing away the call of God because of all the reasons that you've given yourself of why you will not be successful, I want you to know God's with you. His Spirit lives on the inside of you. He has commissioned you and anointed you and appointed you for such a time as this. The Holy Spirit is with you and He will teach you all things and God will surround you with some incredible people so that you will be successful. I want you to know that God wants to use you no matter how much junk is in your trunk. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to pray today that God would help you overcome whatever big butt has crept into your life. Because I believe He is commissioning us and speaking to us and empowering us because there is a nation in bondage that desperately needs deliverance. And it's on the other side of our yes to serve Jesus. Before we pray that prayer though I know that there are people here who for one reason or another are far from God maybe like Moses you made mistakes in life and you're having a hard time forgiving yourself and you feel like you're wandering in the desert of life searching for purpose others of you maybe it's the things that have happened to you you feel like God wasn't there for you and you feel like damaged goods somebody took advantage of you or abused you or abandoned you God loves you more than you could possibly imagine, and He's there for you today. Salvation is this miracle reset. When we surrender to Christ, He makes everything in our lives brand new, and I believe He wants to do that in your heart and in your life today if you'll just surrender to Him. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, maybe that's you. Maybe this is your moment. It's time for you to come home. Time for you to get a fresh start. Time for you to say yes to the purpose that God has for your life. It's never too late to become who you might have been. I'm not going to make you stand or come to the front. I just want to connect you with Jesus at all of our campuses. If that's you, with no one looking around. If you say, Dave, I'm ready to pray. I'm ready to make that decision. Would you just lift your hand up high all across this room and at all of our campuses? Come on, right now, just put your hand up high and say, count me in. That's me. Come on, be bold just for one moment. Yeah, good, awesome. Proud of you all across the room. It's amazing. All right, you can put your hands down if you haven't already. Here's what we'll do. I'm going to lead you in this simple prayer. You can pray it quietly in your heart. You just need to mean it. Just say, Jesus, I surrender to you today. I repent of all of my sin. And I invite you into my life. Make me brand new. Fill me with your spirit. Today, I make you my Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. God, I thank you for every person here and for the call of God that's on their lives. Holy Spirit, as you whisper to us through this message, through your word, I pray that you would Awaken that sleeping giant, the deliverer on the inside of us. Help us to overcome the lies of the enemy and the insecurity that we so often are paralyzed by so that we can become the men and women of God that you have called us to be. God, we thank you today that there is a great nation that needs deliverance. They need life. They need hope. They need freedom. And it's on the other side of our obedient yes 
to you. So we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would empower us, strengthen us, and encourage us. God, one last time, we pray for our incredible nation. We thank you for all that you have already done. But we say thank you in advance for what you're getting ready to do. Pour out your spirit in supernatural ways. God, we'll be careful to give you all the praise and all the glory for it. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said amen. Amen. Come on, church, would you help me celebrate with all those who prayed that prayer today? Yeah. Thank you so much for joining iTown Church online today. We would love to have the chance to meet you and your family in person at one of our campuses. Or, of course, you can join us streaming live online this weekend. Now, for more details about times and locations and even some of our streaming options, you can go to itownchurch.com. I sure hope to see you soon, and God bless.